0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Happy New Year served up, friends. Julie here. I am so excited to kick off the new year with Sarah Kreider, Vice President of Winemaking at Foley Family Wine Estates. Sarah shares her journey and passion in the vineyards to the glass. Starting as a harvest intern at Ferrari Crono in 1995, Sarah made a full circle back in 2003 as assistant winemaker, quickly becoming winemaker and now leading all wine production at Foley Family Estates. Now sit back, grab your favorite glass of Ferrari Crono Sonoma Valley wine and get inspired
1: welcome to served up we are so excited to have you on the show today thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here as well my goodness you're so welcome could you tell our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and what brought you into the wine world Okay. Um, it's funny because I've told this story
2: a few times and I love the story because it wasn't, I kind of fell into the wine business. I um, was a biology major out of Sonoma State University in college. And my first job out of college was working for the Pacific States Marine Fisheries Commission. And I was a, a biologist assistant and the biologist at the time was doing a Pacific rockfish study. And so the big draggers on um, would go fishing all day, come to the docks, offload their haul, and the ladies on the fishing dock would sit there and fillet the fish and throw the fish carcass into a pile. And my job, uh, believe it or not, um, was it should have been on micros dirty job because it was pretty bad. Um, I had gloves on, I would pick up these fish carcasses and I would take a hacksaw to the head of the rockfish. And I would take these ear bones out of the skull of the rockfish. And they had, they're called otoliths and they had rings like trees. So if these um, otoliths were getting smaller and smaller, our fish is, you know, our depletions were going down and we were depleting our resources in the ocean, but I would wear gloves and I would come home from work and I still smelt like fish on my hands. I would find a scale at dinner with my friends, like a little fish scale in my hair. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, it should have been, it was bad. I would like come home and I was like, I didn't go to college to cut fish. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this another day. I opened the newspaper and I said, I'm quitting. The next day I went in and I quit. Um, I opened the paper and Ferrari Corona winery was hiring for their harvest intern and it had already started. Harvest had already started and their intern had started and quit. And I walked in and I was, um, like replacing somebody that had already started. So it was like, when I walked in at the winery, everything was already fermenting. Like there was apples and citrus and flowers and peaches and no fish smell anywhere. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I, like, I just love the aromatics. And I, re- I realized that I am a very ar- aromatic person. And I'm always paying attention to what I smell and taste. But I realized at that moment in that interview that wine is really biology. It's yeast converting sugar to alcohol and bacteria converting um, malic, la- malic acid to lactic acid. And I realized that there is the beautiful science part of winemaking but also the very creative aspect of the aromatics and flavors. And at the end of the day, when I would come home from work at the winery, I would have a bottle of wine instead of scales in my hair. (laughs) (laughs) So that was it. That's a
0: major upgrade.
2: (laughs) it, It was. And I have never looked back. And that was 28 years ago. That was my very first harvest. And I've loved every minute of it because I do believe the creative aspect every vintage is different and i feel like mother nature gives us different weather patterns and it's never the same vintage and it's always challenging and i think
0: you never get bored i love it absolutely love it that's wonderful i mean even though we do still need the biologists you know that that will do the tough job of <laughs> you know with the stinky fish i'm so glad <laughs> that you discovered wine so you know, tell us about that. So you go in as an intern and, and what was that journey like for you to start as an intern at Ferrari Crano and now be head winemaker of Foley family wine estates? Okay. So from that point, I worked at Harvest and I was only contracted for
2: three months. Um, they ended up keeping me because I kept asking questions. I was curious and I was passionate. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I ended up working like a few years, and then went to Jordan Winery. Um, and when I went to work at Jordan Winery, it was really Rob Davis was my true mentor because he was he what he taught me as a uh, mentor and um, as a winemaker I am, uh, as I am today is that he really instilled in me about consistency in a product. You know the you know, Jordan Cabernet is consistent, right? Jordan Cab, Jordan Cab. And so what he taught me is he taught me how to taste. I walked vineyards with him. I traveled internationally with him. I really, he was my true mentor on how to be focused on a brand, talk about a consistent product and being with mother nature, you know, giving us all these different um, weather patterns, still tr- being true to a consistent um wine so that you can, you know, if you have followers that love your wine, you want it to be something that people come back to year after year after year. And that does resonate with some, uh, a lot of people. Rob Davis was uh, very funny because he um, is a true friend of mine. I'm having lunch with him tomorrow, but he um, asked, he's like, Sarah, you really need to go to Davis and get your degree in winemaking because there's a lot more chemistry as in winemaking, along with biology, he goes, just go to Davis. It'll open more doors. You'll learn a little bit about these questions you keep asking me. <laughs> and he's like, just go get your degree. So I did. I ended up leaving Jordan, got my degree. And at that point, once I graduated, I decided I needed to go back to Ferrari Crono and get a reference. And Rob gave me a reference, but I went back. Um, to Donna Rhonda Carano and George Bursick. And at that point at Ferrari Carano's uh, history, they had just expanded to two wineries. So they had a white winery um, facility, which was the original estate winery that I had worked at, but they had um, built this red wine facility up in the mountains. Um, And they were just at that point splitting the staff and they needed help. And it was like Perfect timing for me to get graduate. And I came on board in 2003 as assistant winemaker. And at that point, I was working just on the white wines. And then there was a whole nother red winery facility separate. So what happened was I worked a few years with George as assistant winemaker. And after three years, I think George Bursa gave notice and he left and started his own consulting business. And at that point, I became the white winery. Winemaker. So in 2006, I was just making the Fume Blanc and the Chardonnays, and making the Rosés and all the white wines. And there was a gentleman who made all the red wines. He gave notice in 2013, and at that point, I had moved over to oversee both the red and the white facilities. With my, I had women winemakers. I had two women winemakers at the red winery and two women winemakers at the white winery. And Don Aranda had um, also purchased a Pinot Noir facility in um, Lazy Creek in Anderson Valley. And I had two winemakers that were women there. So it was like seven of us, all winemakers that were all women. And it was such a great avenue, great experience and a good team. And at that point, I did that for quite a few years until Don Carano had passed away bless his soul, because I truly, he was uh, a very, very generous, very sweet man that I will always cherish forever. And, um, at once his passing, it was Rhonda and the children decided to sell. And that's when Bill Foley and Carol came on board and they purchased Ferrari Corano in 2020. And at that point they were looking for a vice president of winemaking for all of their facilities. So at that point, I let go of the reins of Ferrari Carano, which I still um oversee a little bit, but now I oversee all the wines under the Foley Family Wines portfolio, which is from Walla Walla, Washington to Oregon, all the way through California, Napa, Sonoma, all the way down to Santa Barbara. I've got a lot of hats, but it's been, you know, there's so many great winemakers, and it's a good winemaking team that I work with. And it feels like They're amazing. And I I truly enjoy them. And I think they make my job easy.
1: (laughs) That's really an incredible story. And I love, you know, when you mentioned like that team of women that was, you know, around you and that positive energy, is that common in the wine um, industry? I think it's becoming more common. I think women are doing all
2: kinds of things more than they have in the past. I think there's more more women doctors and pilots and lawyers. I think we're just, it's just part of our society as a whole. And I, um, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think there's great men winemakers in our portfolio and I cherish them and they bring a different element. Um, but it is, um, we had a really good team, all
0: women at that point. That's that's really wonderful. And and it's it's lovely lovely to hear. I mean, I just heard something about that too. Like, you know, we need the men and the woman, right? But it's um it's so uh lovely to hear a story where where there's, you know, just this big community of women because you don't you don't hear that often. Um, you know, and I, I like what you said about you know, just having that consistency in product, right? In in your in your brand and your wine, so you know that if you have a Ferrari Chrono Fumé, you know what to expect um, from that Fumé. What are some ways that you manage that from your position of VP of Wine Making, overseeing all these wineries that all have different styles, different varietals from different regions? Like, how do you kind of manage that, making sure that you guys are true to that profile that you're looking for and, and are there, you know, any words of wisdom on, on how you manage that with all the various estates?
2: I, um, I absolutely, there's a way, um, you know, mother nature does give you different weather patterns. One year it's a little cool, one year it's a little warmer and, you know, but one of the things that I think that is the fundamental aspect of being consistent is having the same source of fruit. And so the Fumé Blanc, you have the same vineyards. We, you know, the the land um, holdings that Foley owns, you know, like Lancaster Cabernet. We have our Lancaster Estate vineyards, Chalk Hill. There's the Chalk Hill vineyard. Every site has um, their sourcing, and is if you're consistent with the fruit sourcing, and you make the wine consistently with our winemaking team, you will have a consistent product even though you have Mother Nature throwing a little bit of a cooler year or a warmer year. You have those fundamentals, I think, are really what's most important.
1: You know, wine can be perceived as um, very complicated sometimes, right? To like the consumer, like, oh my goodness, there's there's so much to see here on the shelf. Do you have any tips or maybe some beginners in the wine world to just get that little intim- you know, just get intimidation when they walk into the liquor store.
2: You know it's funny because I my I had a very dear friend of me uh, of mine that um, really looked at wine as you know it's not this sophisticated you know little snobby thing that wine sometimes people get intimidated by, um, or there's just so many choices. I feel like it's really what he said is like it's just fermented grape juice. I mean, if you boil it down, it's like yeast and grape juice, and you make wine. Yes, there's techniques and things like that that you can do to make it better. Um, but I really, it's, I, I would only recommend is just try and what you like. And, and I feel like there's a lot of different styles of wine out there on the market. And if you find something that you like, fantastic. Buy it again. Absolutely buy it again. Because most likely, if you are a winery, most people do try to make a consistent product. Um, I think that sometimes people do change with trends. There are trends that go in um, with winemaking and people do change their wines a little bit. And if it does try something new, don't be afraid to try something new. And I, I am always, it's funny because you like our Fumé Blanc and our
0: Chardonnay. I always try something that I don't make
2: because I want to try something new always.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, um, especially when you have so much at your fingertips, right? And and all these great wines. Tell us about, you know, throughout your incredible career and, you know, it it sounds all wonderful, but I'm sure there were moments that were extremely difficult and, and challenging. I could never imagine what a career would be like as a winemaker. Could you tell us, you know, a time that was just really challenging and, and how you overcame that? As a winemaker responsible for bringing a product to life, right? Um, I can imagine there's a lot of stress. Two things came to
2: my mind when you said that, and one of the, um, one of the things that came to me, first off was when Don Carano hired me um, as winemaker, I remember I was sitting in his office and he had said him, "Can I hire a woman to be a winemaker for my winery?" And I'm, uh, he goes, "I can't believe I'm hiring a woman." you know, and I, at that point it was way back. Right. But I think at that point there was, there are some people that really struggle with a woman running a company. And um, at that point I said, Oh my God, I am going to be the best one I can be. And I was determined to um, prove myself as a winemaker to. um... And so it's that obstacle that was set up that I just wanted to challenge it and say, No, I can do this. Absolutely, I can do it. And I I was determined. Um, The second one um, that came to my mind was the challenging years. Um, Those always um, come to my mind of very um, weather patterns that are very difficult, Um, whether it's uh, a very cool year like 2011 or the smoky year of 2020. Those years um, as a winemaker. You have to. Oh, it's a very hard challenge um, to make a good, consistent product when you are given ingredients that aren't at the best. And so you have to take um, grapes that are not the best and you have to make the best wine you possibly can. And that is where you learn, um, you know, like in 2020, when we had the fires, we really looked at analysis and looked at numbers for guaiacol and smoke taint markers. We we left 3,000 tons out on the vines. We didn't pick a lot of it. We sold thousands, um, hundreds of thousands of gallons on the bulk market because we didn't want to use the, we didn't want to bottle anything that was smoky. Um, those years are very, very challenging. And those, that will always be, I think they're, they're, that's Makes you a a better winemaker when you learn from those events that happen and you just move forward.
1: You know, I don't think that a lot of folks realize what it takes to make wine. It just kind of magically appears on the shelf where there really is so much um, agriculture, right, that goes behind it and um, so much history as well. Can you talk a bit about that? You know, kind of what the process is of making wine?
2: Okay. So the grapes are grown in the vineyard. And I think that one of the things that we do right now, we're pruning the vineyards right now. And when you prune, you can prune to actually have a lot of fruit or a little bit of fruit, depending on the spurs or the buds that you leave. So it depend, you can change. There's so many things in winemaking that you can do to change the outcome of your wine. So if you leave all this fruit on the vines, you're going to have wine that's really thin and light. And that's what people talk about crop loads. And you know, the lower the yields, the better the wine, but not necessarily. I think sometimes it goes into, if it's too light of a crop, then it gets into a vegetative state and it grows all the canopy. And not the vine doesn't focus its energy into the cluster. So finding that perfect balance of fruit to canopy, and they call it balance, and giving it the, the best sunlight and the sunflex is what I call it. I like sunflex into the berries because it ripens the fruit without it being uh green or sunburned. Um, and one of the things I think with like Cabernet, um, the the stage of how it develops in on the vine, it goes from bell pepper, then it goes to herbal, then it goes to like this bramble wild berry, then it goes to cherry, then it goes to like a plum, blackberry, and then to a prune and to a raisin. So when you pick your wine, if you pick at bell pepper stage, you're going to have bell pepper wine. If you're going to pick a cherry, you're going to get cherry wine. If you're going to get prunes, you're going to get pruny wine. So just the vineyard aspect of when you pick and how you farm the grapes will determine your wine, the foundation of the grape and the juice. Then in winemaking, there's so many things that you can do Like in Sauvignon Blanc, the yeast that you use, um, if uh, you have different pathways. So, believe it or not, there's uh, catalogs of yeast. Like you can get all these different types of yeast strains. There's Merlot yeast. There's Sauvignon Blanc yeast. There's Cabernet yeast. There's Chardonnay yeast. But for like Sauvignon Blanc, you can get a yeast that will take a pathway from bell peppers to lemon lime grapefruit, and so just the yeast. You can take the same juice and use a strain of um, yeast that will make it smell like bell peppers. So depending on the yeast strain that you use can make your wine different as well. And then if you use stainless steel or barrels, oh, and then the barrels, are you gonna use American oak, French oak, Hungarian oak, um, light toast, heavy toast? Oh, there's so many parameters. And that's the creative part of winemaking is there's so many things that you can do to make your wine, the end product, what you want it to be. And I, that's the, the passion part of it that I love because, and the beauty of how unique each wine can be in the end.
0: So that is the most simplest way I've heard anybody describe how to make wine. It's like, oh, everybody can do it. But I recognize how much work goes into that. But it's, it's such a great explanation. So thank you for that. Could you talk a little bit? And, and I know 2020, that was just crazy, right? With, with the fires. And I know that's like the F word. We don't want to talk about that, you know, when we're out in the vineyards, but it, it's just, it was just crazy to see how one vineyard and one estate didn't get touched. And like the neighboring estate was completely burnt up right? And, and I think that that was really big in, in Sonoma. Could you talk a little bit about how that happens? How the fire just kind of sporadically went yeah. to different areas?
2: So we had the fires and the lightning storm that came through and it was dry lightning and um, it literally sparked all these little baby fires. Um, and the wind, it came down to the wind, the wind just, you could not control um, the spread of the fire. And there were so many um, different fires, the lightning complex, there were so many different fires that there was not enough manpower to handle it. So depending on what direction your the wind was going is where the fire went or didn't go. That's why some vineyards were fine and some were not. Um, I think as an industry, it was one of the most difficult um, vintages. I know that We ended up sending out for analysis, smoke tank markers on all grapes before we made a decision to pick. And then everybody else did the same thing. Every winery, every... So the labs, these outside labs that actually could do this technology of testing the grapes, they were like, at first, they were like, oh yeah, three days turnaround time. It ended up getting so... They got inundated with so many samples that it was a month out for analysis. And you needed to make decisions and picking and you couldn't even depend on the outside labs anymore. So we ended up as Foley, we purchased the same equipment. We we can do all our internal testing now because we still are going to have fires. We still want to know, do we pick and spend the labor and the money to pick or do we not take an insurance claim? So, at this point, we have an uh, in house uh, GC mass spec that does all our smoke tape analysis. And it is fabulous to be able to have that um, technology in house to make some decisions quicker. And, and it's interesting because that year, you know, the white wines are, are fine. I think the white wines turned out okay because the smoke molecules actually went on the skins and you press it really quick and just the juice came out. And they were, the wines were fine. It was when you ferment on the skins with the red grapes, that that smoke molecule just comes out of solution. And you wow. had wines that just almost like bologna or smoked salmon or ashtray. Um, there's a bitter tannin that comes through on the smoky wines. We tried. We tried our very best blocks and like the reserve wines that you always try. It's like, oh, at least can we try a little bit? We tried to make wine and we, at the minute it started, um, in the crusher December, we knew we're like, yep, it's smoky. Cause it just aromatically came out
0: wow. so quick. and not the cool, like smoky cocktail trend that's going on. We couldn't, couldn't go that route. Right. <laughs> With the smokiness. Well, you know, what's interesting
2: that you say that is because, um, we have actually purchased some wines. Um, recently we, Because what I try to do with the winemakers is I always try to try to do competitive sets. There are some wineries and um, companies that did bottle up some wines and we did a lineup of wines of smoky 2020 wines. Um, And what I found is some winemakers are more sensitive to to others. We all have genetic chemical markers that uh, chemical receptors in our palates that Some people are more sensitive to smoke and some people aren't. And I think there are wines out there that you can, that handled the smoke better than others, depending on the varietal. We found that like um, Petit Verdot and Pinot Noir and Sangiovese and Syrah generally have a higher affinity for smoke pickup where Cabernet isn't so bad. So depending on the varietal too, that
1: changes it. So. I think it's super interesting, you know. I'm I'm definitely from the cocktail world, more the spirit world. So, as we're talking, I'm definitely, you know, um, learning. And with that, I would love to get your perspective on, you know, what you love most about the wine culture as an industry. I think what I love is the
2: aromatics and the sensory aspect of it, just because I mean, I, on a side note, I collect gin. You're talking about your cocktails. I am a fanatic about gins and all the botanicals, and oh, I just, they're so different and unique. And um, I think I love food and wine. And um, when it comes to the end of the day, having a meal with your family and friends with a glass of wine or a bottle of wine with a wonderful meal that lifestyle of enjoying life. And I think that's what I love most about this industry is that connection of people with food and wine and good times. And, you know, I think that is the best thing about it. There's nothing, because we're all, you know, going through this world and hot, crazy, you know, work, harvest, you know, all this stuff. Um, But when you sit down and you have a meal with family and friends with
0: a glass of wine, there's nothing better. (laughs) couldn't agree more (laughs) couldn't agree more um so talk to us i'm really curious because i know that this vintage um we couldn't i had promised the team i had promised angie that we weren't going to bug you until after harvest to get you on so we (laughs) gave you plenty of time to get through harvest but my understanding was harvest was very early this year could you talk to us a little bit about you know how 22 was and and what we can expect in in the wines from 2022.
2: Okay, so 2022 we had um, the most amazing growing season. It was mild and easy, and so it was like spring was great, summer was great. I mean, it just was like I remember giving a presentation to my boss, and it was like, yeah, oh my god, it's like this is gonna be an amazing harvest because it's like ideal growing season, and then wham. We got hit with the Labor Day heat spike, and that Labor Day heat spike wasn't just Labor Day. It's, we always, if you look at the graphs, there's always a Labor Day heat spike, but this one lasted like Oh, Labor Day week spike, right? <laughs> and, or the heat dome. So we had quite an extensive heat event that came through that really um, kind of pushed things along. Most of the whites at that point, um, it was an early harvest. So a lot of the whites, um, Sauvignon Blanc Chardonnays were already like in, if not uh, scheduled and it just shifted everything. We saw the heat spike coming and we saw how long the heat event was gonna last. So we started picking early because you can only you know bring in so much fruit a day. So we ended up shifting everything and then we just kept going. So for about five weeks during that uh, week before the heat spike, a week. And then a few weeks after we just kept bringing everything in. And so it was early. Um, we already bottled our Fumé Blanc already. (laughs) And it's shocking because it just, it came in early, we fermented it, we blended it and we got it ready. And, um, so the red wines, I think some of the things about the red wines, um, we wanted a little bit more hang time and we just, you know, you had to pick it because it was, some of that dehydration, there was a little bit less fruit. And so we did get some of that, but I think, um, you still had to pick with dehydrated fruit because you didn't want to lose the fruit. You watered as much as you could. Um, but there were some vineyards that, um, water wasn't as big of an issue. It's more of the road direction. Some vineyards, um, were like out there in the sun and like, Oh, you know, You need to pick those sooner than the ones that were protected more with a different canopy. So we had to really um, focus on doing what is what has to come off, what needs to come off and what can wait. And so we kind of waited. The stuff that waited, I think, tended to be, in my opinion, a little bit better because it had that hang time that you really wanted for for red wines. Um, And luckily we did have quite a bit of wine that wasn't ready. And that was, you know, uh, we could do that. So it didn't, it wasn't fine. There were, you know, there, you just kind of made it through. So some of it you picked because you had to, and some of it you had more time overall. So looking forward to it and the yields are down. And to me, when you have a little dehydration, it's really the water evaporating. So you get that concentrated flavor. (laughs) So, and to me as a winemaker, that tends to be a little nice. I like it because it's got flavor. The vineyard managers don't like it because they lost fruit. (laughs) So.
1: Oh my goodness. In your experience, can you share with our listeners what, what are some of your more like surprising wine and food pairings? Oh gosh. See, sometimes I, I, I,
2: there's always the classic, the food and wine pairings that are always like the soft turn and the um, blue cheese and the champagne and caviar. And I think that there's so many in the classic pairings. Um, I think right now I've been on a kick of bubbles and champagne that I've been drinking a lot. I don't know why, just for some reason, I can't get enough. <laughs> and I'm always like, what can I pair with it now? It's like, and I do a lot of uh, oysters. I love oysters and champagne and um, and uh, Chablis, oysters and Chablis. That's amazing pairing that I love. Um, And now that it's becoming winter, it's more the Pinot Noirs and some of the red wines that the red blends that I like with some, the heartier stews and the steaks. I got a sous vide recently and I just did my first sous vide um, and paired it with some beautiful cab. So just, you know, kind of cooking in that respect of always challenging. I tend to do these fun cooking dinners that one night I'm doing all like I'll do Germany or I'll do Japan and then I'll, and like everything from appetizer, salad, and entree, I'll do a whole evening. And then I try to get some of the wines and I do it for fun just because I like to cook. I love to cook and I like the different flavors. So I always try to mix it up with also getting some of the wines that would pair with that kind of meal.
0: I love that. I always say, you know, why stick to just one wine, have many, right? So that you can play around with all the different flavors. I always say, you know, I always have like my go-to everyday wine that I just, if I need a glass of wine, it's my go-to for you. And I know you try to expand outside of your portfolio, but what is, and and I do understand that, you know, there's seasons for wine and and what you feel like what is your go to wine now i know you just said bubblies and champagne um is is that it or is there something else that's kind of your everyday wine
2: um so the champagne has been my everyday wine lately <laughs> Um, But what I'd love to do recently is I will pick a wine region like uh, I just picked um, uh, Cornice and in France and it was like, what can I don't know anything about this wine region. I am going to buy, um, you know, six bottles from this wine region and I will take it and I will do a taste testing. Um, and I will try to learn about that area, and then taste wines of that area. And so that's what one of the things I've been trying to do is really expand. I'm always trying to learn more about wine, but also the region and the growing and the the, the wineries, and always trying to learn. I do this with my kids, my poor kids. I'm like, oh, you like sodas, Coca Cola? Okay, let's do a taste test. Which and I do everything blind. I make them taste all the. I've done it with mustard. I've done it with like ketchup, anything that's we do. And it's always a taste test. <laughs> and they're like, mom, can't we just have it? <laughs> but it's more about, um, sometimes it's about challenging your palate and your, what you, you your um, preconceived, uh, what you think of, what you think is your best, your favorite Coca-Cola, or you always challenge yourself because what you think you, um, is going to be best
0: may not be your favorite. So yeah, I, I love that. I think kind of picking a wine region, and I think going back to Bridget's question too is like, you know, for somebody that's a new wine drinker, like just pick one region, right? If you start in America, you know, with American wine, there's so many, and like Willamette Valley or Sonoma, and and picking a few wines from there and just really learning it because it it really is about place, right? And and where where that wine is from.
2: Yeah. And then I really like to take, you know, like Chin Blanc. Take Chin and Blanc's for one from every great growing region of the world and seeing how different they are. Because they're very like Pinot Noir from Willamette versus Santa Barbara versus Sonoma County. They're very different. Um, Pinot Noirs. So very different in their acid structure, their alcohol levels. It just might change that. Oh wait, I do like Willamette penal noir is better than Sonoma County or whatever, just because you're being forced to
1: taste them side by side, you learn. That's some really good advice. You know, you just mentioned your your children and, and Julie and I are, I saw Julie's eyes like lit up. Julie and I are both mothers as well. And we talk about our children very often on this show. And, you know, in your experience, you know, what has it been like? being a mom and and balancing a career within the wine industry? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, my son, who's 25 years old,
2: works at Prairie Carano. I mean, he grew up in the vineyards and at the winery and he's uh, like in the, you know, he's working in the cellar and he had to run in the vineyard uh, today at one of the ranches that Um, He goes, mom, I went to the the vineyard name was Keegan. I go, I had to drop something off at Keegan. He goes, I learned how to drive my car at that ranch. (laughs) I would take my kids driving through the vineyard. And that's the ranch where he learned how to drive a car in. And it's so funny because you think of how you balance it. It's like, I went to the vineyard to go taste the wine, but here we're going to learn how to drive a car in a vineyard. So I did both. I managed it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That was just today. I was like, oh yeah, you did learn that.
0: (laughs) That's great. I think, um, you know, all these little things as, as we think it's managing, it's really, um, these memorable moments for the kids, right. To be able to have that kind of access and, um, and the experience is just so special.
2: Yeah. It's not always easy. I think that, you know, I was a mother of two and, um, you know, and, um, and winery, particularly at harvest, you work two months straight. You do, you don't have a day off. Um, you it's, there's only one, you get one shot a year to make wine and it's at harvest and you got to make all those decisions and, um, you need help. You cannot be, uh, you can't be a parent. And like my daughter's birthday is, September 15th, smack dab, not planned, obviously, (laughs) but every year we celebrated her birthday on August 15th before harvest started. So I always, to this day, I, you know, I, um, I still celebrate her birthday on August 15th and September 15th, because I actually can sit down and have, you know, dinner with her on August 15th and actually get to celebrate. So
1: <laughs> it's, it's those little concessions that you give. <laughs> I think it's super cool that your son is now like following in your shoes a bit, mom. That's really neat. It's pretty fun because, you know, it
2: is a good industry. It's a fun industry. We you have fun making wine. You know, I think it's a great people. Um, there's a lot of joy in the end product when, you know, my son loves our wines and he's like, Oh, I love the Sienna, like our Sienna Sangiovese Malbec wine. He loves it. It's his favorite wine. And so there are certain wines that he's, you know, at the beginning, they, they didn't like wine, but they've grown up to about, you know, cherish and understand that wine is not something to go get drunk on, but actually to really enjoy the aromatics, the flavors and the wine pair, the food and wine pairing that goes along with it.
0: Yeah, the I love the Sienna too. So we have similar palettes. It's such a great wine. So what's next for for you and for Foley family going into 2023 now that you've wrapped up, you know, harvest for 2022 and and bottling? What's what's next? What can what can we all expect and look forward to?
2: Well, I think what I have loved about Bill and Carol and Courtney and Rob and Lindsay, the family of the Foley's is that they have this tremendous um, passion for the wine business, as well as a hospitality. So they have hotels, restaurants, they have wineries. And what I look forward to is since I've been um, an employee with them, they have acquired Chateau St. Jean in Sonoma, and they've also just acquired Silverado just a few months ago in Napa. And they will continue to purchase because they are an acquisition company or family that they love um, opportunities to um, put jewels in their crown or whatever. I think it's really neat. Courtney calls it is like we're like um, little uh, boats in a fleet, like each winery is a boat like because they're but we're all going in the same direction of a fleet. Um, but we're all, you know, all they're very unique. So all of our wineries within the company, like Chalk Hill and Lancaster and Maris and Silverado and Troy Crono and Acrobat, all these little wineries that they own, they're all just little jewels in a crown. And I think I, they're going to just keep putting those jewels in there. <laughs> yeah. So I look forward to that um, moving forward
0: and learning and growing with the company. Let's talk about that for a second, because you know, I mean, with with the acquisition of Ferrari Chrono, which was you know big news and and really great, because I think having been somebody that's that's sold Ferrari Chrono for many years since the beginning of my career and and understanding the brand, it was just you know it was already doing amazing things, and under your leadership and and having the Foley family bring it under their wings continues to grow, but with the acquisition of Chateau St. Jean, right? This is a brand that's gone really big and wasn't even producing at the estate. So from what I hear, you know, Mm -hmm. through the telephone line is that Bill's focus is actually purchasing, you know, wineries, not just for the brand, but for the actual estate and having that heritage and bringing that heritage back. I was recently at Shalom, which was incredible and learning all the history about that. And that was kind of a similar situation, right? Like Shalom had this amazing history and then it kind of went down the commercial mainstream and it was just flooded and and making cases from, you know, juice from all over. And now going back to the roots of the winery and really producing some incredible wine. Um, and Chateau St. Jean, I, I hear, had its first harvest. Wine pr- first harvest at the winery. So share a little bit about what's going on there.
2: Oh, Chateau St. Jean, yeah. So Treasury Wine Estates had had it for quite a few years. And, you know, Margot has been the winemaker and I adore Margot. Um, but they did take the uh, production of all of Chateau St. Jean's wines over to Beringer. And they consolidated their winery, winemaking facilities. We came in um, and we purchased a Chateau St. Jean. It hadn't been operational for six years. And this harvest was the first harvest in six years that we made wine there. And it was amazing. So yeah, we're not making the California wine tier anymore. Uh, They had a California Chardonnay and a California um, other wines. We are eliminating that, and we're bringing it back to just Sonoma County, um, and focusing on the Saint Sipage and the Knights Valley and the Carneros Chardonnay. Really focusing on smaller production, but also revamping it, bringing it back to what it used to be, um, and really trying to make the best wine we possibly can. I know we had a dinner with all the neighbors um, in at the Chateau Saint Jean, Sonoma, Kenwood area, and it was so funny because wine one of the byproducts of wine is the pumice you know so in, at harvest we always have a pumice pile and you kind of um uh, compost it well the neighbors could smell it and i always think it smells like vinegar because it's just old you know it's just sitting there they the neighbors were like yay we get the smell of that again and we were like we're so sorry and they're like no we love it that there's that smell of winemaking in the neighborhood. And it just meant so much to me that even the neighbors love the trucks and the smells and the activity um, back at the winery. And it, I think it's going to be great. Nikki Williams is the winemaker and she is so passionate and loves what she's doing there. And she basically (laughs) rolled up her sleeves and it's like, okay, we got this. We're going to try to make wine. And yeah, Not everything was perfect this year and we knew it wouldn't because, you know, there's gaskets and seals and pumps and things that just, you know, went wrong, but we, you know, we got through it and it'll only get better. I mean, to me, we thought about it. This was the worst of the worst is the first year. Now we have a list of things that we're going to do to make better. And that'll be this next harvest. We have what,
1: seven months before harvest, (laughs) So we got to do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> That's oh amazing.
1: You know, I know Julie and I have enjoyed our time so much with you, Sarah. Thank you so much for giving us, you know, um, just some of the magic of what you and your team does. This was incredibly special. Mm-hmm. And on behalf of the Served Up family, I just want to thank you for being on the show and wish you some great health and a whole lot of peace. Oh, thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me. I mean,
2: you have a lot of choices of people out there and I appreciate you having me and to talk about Forey Carano and all all of Foley family wines. Um, There's a lot of them there. So Um, I hope you enjoy it over the holidays. Um, Please look forward to some of that
0: just because I do feel that some of the wines that we make are just absolutely stunning. And so I hope you enjoy them. And I couldn't agree with you more it was an absolute pleasure thank you sarah all right thanks julie bridget thanks for listening served up is brought to you by southern glazers wine and spirits produced by zunu.online music by we kill the lion can be found on spotify make sure to subscribe to be notified of future served up episodes cheers